It's easy to get caught up in movements that seem to want to help change things in society, but cause you to think about life and people in a way that doesn't honor God. In addition, they can sometimes persuade you to think about people that disagree with you as the enemy, unworthy of love and compassion. Pastor Daniel's teaching today will use God's word to shine a light on this way of thinking and show a biblically alternative way to look at things. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of 1 John chapter 1 as he continues his message, God is Light. We have to allow Jesus to shine the light on our darkness and we say, yes, we have a sin issue. Sin simply means missing the mark. Missing the mark of what perfect actions, motives, and responses are at every point. So we simply allow Jesus to shine his light onto our darkness. It reminds me of John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We allow Jesus to illuminate our path. And as we allow him to illuminate our path, we realize that we have darkness. Look at what it says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, what's the misconception here? Misconception number three. This is the misconception of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is simply the belief that humanity does not have a sin principle or what is commonly called in church, that humanity does not suffer from original sin, which means that by nature, we have a sin disposition that lives in rebellion against God. That's what Gnosticism was. A Gnostic wouldn't say that they didn't make mistake. They would actually deny the fact that they had a sin principle because of their faith in Jesus. Some people would call this a perfectionist. I would call this quite simply what is very common today, a spiritual entitlement syndrome. I don't know how many people I have met in my now 15 years of being a Christian who would say, I mean, why do I need to be saved? I already get heaven because I'm human. See that? The assumption is that because I am human, therefore eternity is already mine. And you know what's interesting about that? If you've done any traveling, you realize that spiritual entitlement is only an American problem. It's part of the goggles that we wear as 21st century Americans. 
We just think it's just all coming to us. Entitlement is a way of life. I was just talking to someone after first service. They said, you were talking about entitlement. It was so clear to me. I was watching the news and they were showing these houses that were destroyed. And they're like, this is like a third world country. I mean, come on, people. This is America. See that? We don't suffer in America. Why? Because it's America. I mean, think about it. We, as Americans, we believe that we just know which way is up. We got it right. Our way is the best way, always. And if you include that entitlement mindset that we've all been socialized in, if you include that into the spiritual realm, what you have is that I'm all taken care of. I'm good. Eternity is mine by nature of being born, which is just classic Gnosticism packaged for a new generation. That's all it is. But notice, God's word will not allow us to hold that position. Because notice, we have to say that we sin. If we don't say that, it says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's in verse 8. In verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Wow. So to say that we do not have a predisposition towards rebellion against God, we are self-deceived and we make God a liar. Wow, think about that. But how many of us in this room, by the way that we were raised, the way that we were socialized, we actually believe that? We think, you know, I'm not so bad. As if God grades on a curve. See, the reality is that we do sin, that we do have darkness, and we allow Jesus to shine his light onto our darkness. Now, I want you to notice something here. In verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the idea of confession, that word literally means to say the same thing as another. So true biblical spirituality begins with us agreeing with God that we have a sin problem. That's where it begins. If we say God says that my darkness is sin, is rebellion, and I'm going to agree with him. I'm going to say, God, you are right. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. This is the gospel, that if we agree with God that we have aspects of our nature that's in rebellion, if we agree with him, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Our confession, our own personal admission and acknowledgement of our failings is the first step in receiving the grace of God. Us simply agreeing with God that what God says is true. And now notice this in chapter two, verse one. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for us, but also for the whole world. Now, I love this. This is the gospel. The gospel is this. I have darkness. If I agree with God, then now Jesus is my advocate. Notice it says, the advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is our propitiation. An advocate is somebody who champions your cause. And there is no more weighty advocate for us before the Father than Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one. It's one thing to have Bill Clinton stump for your election. 
It's another thing to have some other guy stump for your election. But it's quite another thing when Jesus Christ says, this person is with me. Why? Because not only is Jesus our advocate, but he's the righteous one. He is the one who has lived the perfect life, who always does those things which please his father. And not only is he a great advocate, and he's never done anything wrong, but he also is the propitiation for our sins, which means he offered himself in our place. And brothers and sisters, this is Gospelology 101 right here. That Jesus is our advocate. He champions our cause. He is the only one acceptable to his father from a perfectly lived life. And he died on a cross, the death that I deserved and that you deserved. And that's the gospel. That is the gospel. So we've already said we all struggle with darkness, but Jesus died to take it away from us, to separate it from us. And not only for us, but notice, also for the whole world. Wow! This is why, as a church, we are pushing out into the community, pushing out into the world, because Jesus isn't our own personal, selfish Savior. He is the Savior for all who would believe. All who would believe. And that's why we're pushing on out the doors into the community. Now, look at verse 3 of chapter 2. By this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Live light by obedience. Notice verse 3, keep his commandments. Verse 4, keep his commandments, which is also equated to the truth. Verse 5, keep his word. Verse 6, walk as Jesus walked. So we live light by obedience. It makes me think of John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So, brothers, sisters, listen. God is light and we live light by being obedient to God's revealed word, by keeping the commandments of the Lord, by walking just as Jesus walked. Now, what's the common misconception? Misconception number four. It's the misconception of pluralism. What is pluralism? Pluralism is that all is truth or personalized truth, which means that there is a plurality of truths. And guess what? If you're thinking philosophically, what you learn is that if everything is the truth, then nothing is the truth. See, we live in a day and age where because of the commoditization of information, from the internet and a million sources right at our fingertips, we are receiving information from all over the world. And right as that happened, people started saying, it's all the truth. I mean, Madonna's truth is the Kabbalah, and this person's truth is Buddhism, and this person's truth is just having a lot of beautiful girls on his side, and this gal's truth is being married 900 times, and this one's is this, and this one's is that, and it's my truth. How many times has someone said that to you? That's my truth. 
Listen, I could say that my truth is I don't believe in gravity. I could also tell you that I'm willing to prove it. And I'll go into Portland. I'll go up to a 30-story building. And I'll be like, I'm going to prove to you that gravity is not there. That's my truth. But if I walk off of that roof, what's going to happen? Splat. And if you think I look rugged now, you should see me splattered on the street side. See, pluralism is the belief that truth is personalized. But the Bible won't give you that. The Bible says you need to walk as Jesus walked. That's the right way. That's the narrow gate, the difficult way that few find and leads to life. And it comes from keeping his commandments, keeping God's revealed word. I have found in Christian churches, we want to leave the Bible. We want to leave the simple revealed commandments of Jesus. Why? Because we want to go our own way. We like our own ideas. I mean, listen, when was the last time you woke up and you said, I just want to be obedient today? Has anybody ever felt that way? No, right? The alarm goes off. I don't want to get up. See, we're wired to want to go our own way. We're wired. And we're wired to want to say, this is my truth. Who are you to tell me? This is my truth. This is what I want to do. This is important to me. It's personal. And I would say to you that that is the way of destruction. It's not about what way is right to me. It's, Lord, what way is right to you? You are God. I am not. Show me the path, and I will walk it even with white knuckles. Because I don't want to go this way. I don't want to be generous. I don't want to serve. I don't want to love people who are unlovable. I don't want to not do that because I really like it, Lord. It suits me. Ah, You see? And let's be honest, we all struggle with pluralism, right? We want to say, well, this is, I mean, that's your way, but this is my way. Ah, it's not about your way or my way. It's about the Jesus way. I remember I had my pastor, I love him, Pastor John Henry Corcoran. He took over a church and things were really rough. And he walked into a meeting and they were telling him he shouldn't be there because it was a worship team meeting and the senior pastor needed to be at the worship team meetings. It was like one of those situations. And he said to him, he said, look, I don't really care what you want. I don't even care what I want. Why don't we pray and ask Jesus what he wants? And the whole worship team quit the church. So let's not pretend like this stuff doesn't go on in church either. Because so often, we don't want the Jesus way. We just want our way, our own personalized way. And I'm not preaching down on anyone. I live here too. Sometimes I want my way. And when it ain't the Jesus way, it's the wrong way. We need to keep his commandments, keep his truth, keep his word, walk as Jesus walked, by living light, by obedience. And then finally, and as a total crescendo climax, look at what happens in verse 7. It says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Finally, we live light by 
love. Notice what he says here. If we're going to be obedient, walking in light, that if you hate your brother, you're in darkness. Over and over again in these, first, in verse 8, the darkness is passing away, the light shining, verse 9. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Notice verse 10, if you love your brother, you abide in light. Verse 11, if you hate your brother, you're in darkness, you walk in darkness, you do not know where you're going because you've been blinded by darkness. This makes me think of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The Holy Spirit never gets bored of reminding us that we need to love people. And you've heard me say it many, many times. Love is the hardest and the most terrifying thing you can do with your life. It's the most terrifying and challenging thing to truly love people. Now, I'm going to explain to you why, and this is a huge misconception. Misconception number five is narcissism. Narcissism is maybe the largest cultural misconception we have, which is what? It's an excessive self-love. It's self-centeredness, and it's selfish. Why? Most people, we talk about loving people, we don't really love them. We just love ourselves, and we love what they'll give us. Let me give you a perfect example. Maybe you got a new job. So happy you got a job. And you love your boss. And your boss gave you a promotion. Yes. And then your boss passes you over for somebody else. Then you don't love him anymore, right? Why? Because you don't really love your boss. You just love yourself. And your boss is a means to an end. And we live in a culture that is seriously founded on excessive self-love that it's all about us. We love people for what they can give us. And when they stop giving it to us, then we stop loving them. That is textbook narcissism. And so many marriages, relationships are falling apart because they are not founded on self-giving love, but self-serving love. And it's a huge issue in our culture where it's all about us. If I don't look out for number one, who is it? Now, I'm going to bring this right... Right here, this week, Tuesday is an election day. Please vote. But I'm going to say this. I get to say this one more week, and then we're off for another four years at least, and maybe two years. You are allowed to have passionate political views. But if you hate your brother on the other side of the aisle, then you are a sinner. That is sin in the eyes of God. You know why? Because of these verses. These verses right here. Now, listen. I'm saying this because I love the body of Christ, and as a pastor, I am called to help people, as God is helping me and being helped by people, to walk in the way that Jesus walked. And there is too many Christians who say they love God, and they hate the other side of the aisle. And it says that if you hate your brother, no matter how misguided you think they are, no matter how passionately you hold your views, if you hate them, then you are in darkness. And you know how I know this? This is how I know this. Because Jesus Christ, think about this. Jesus Christ came to save me. And I was in total rebellion. I mean, talk about being misguided. I mean, I was so far gone, not even anywhere in the ballpark. 
And yet Jesus still came and died for my sins and your sins. Long before he ever said, Lord, save me. He already was doing the saving. The reason we hate people who have different political views is because we're just selfish. Because we have elevated views of what we think is right and wrong. Now, I'm not saying you have to agree with them. No, 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 no. I'm saying you can radically disagree with them, but you should love them more than you disagree with them. Because that's exactly what God did for us in Christ. So, brothers and sisters, listen. When people think about Christians, they never think Christians are so loving. I think that we should be the kind of people that they say, look, I radically disagree with that person spiritually, politically, social motivations. I disagree with all that. But one thing I do know is that they do love me. And that doesn't mean we don't say anything. It means that we say things, but we say them with love as the motivation and not, I want to show you that I think you're an idiot. And guess what? I hate to say it, when I look at the way Christians are in the public square with politics, that's what I see mostly. I see mostly people who think that people are idiots, judging people. There's no love there at all. There's no, hey, I think you're misguided. Can we talk about it in a way that's rational, logical, that has edification as its foundation? Most of us just learn from the political talk shows. Jerry Springer over politics. Jerry Springer over economics. And I just look at the gospel and I say, you know, God just calls us to love people and have conversations, but in love. Try and reason with people in love. And guess what? God doesn't ask us to make people reasonable. God asks us to love people right where they are. And guess what? There is no way that the election is going to put a wedge between the gospel and the lost world. And I'm grateful for that. So brothers, sisters, vote. Hold passionate political views, but make sure your passionate views are subservient under the love of Jesus Christ for all people. And if you do that, you'll never hear boo from me about it. I'll never say boo. If you can disagree, but you can still love somebody, man, praise God. But what goes on is, unfortunately, we don't like to walk in love. We like to walk in hatred. We despise people who disagree with us. We say, oh, bunch of idiots. If we hate our brothers, we walk in darkness, it says. And if Jesus is the light of the world, if God is light and in him is no darkness at all, then brothers and sisters, three days before an election, two days before an election, let's make a commitment to be extremists in love especially with the people whose views we despise the most. Because by this, men will know we are his disciples. By the love that we have, one for another. Amen. Jesus is Loving people the way that Jesus loves people, even people who are violently opposed to his message, is really hard. Pastor Daniel's teaching today reminded us that developing that kind of love is the way to be pleasing to God. If you don't cultivate the kind of love that is focused on the sin problem that everyone has, and therefore they're deserving of our compassion, we're missing the point of Jesus coming to earth. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you 
you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next step with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will begin his teaching, God is Pure. He's going to be talking about the purity of God and the impurity of mankind and the dilemma God had because he wants to have a restored relationship with mankind. But he can't because he can't have relationship with impurity. Pastor Daniel will lay down what God did to bridge the gap between purity and impurity. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called God Is. Next time. Until then, may God bless.